Hi, and welcome to Financial Residency, Grand Rounds with Dr. Tammy. Today, my guest is John Apino, owner of Contract Diagnostics and the new podcast host of Coffee and Contracts. Welcome, John. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Host of a podcast. It sounds strange. I'm looking forward to uh, <laughs> discussions, content, questions and answer sessions, etc. I think it'll be a blast with all of you here at FR. I am so excited that you're doing this. You and I were talking before the show and you were just telling me that you have all this new data from MGMA that you're looking to go through and put that information out to physicians. I know we get questions all the time about contracts and how do you know if you're being paid adequately based on where you live? And I mean, gosh, this is just Mm -hmm. all exactly what you do every day. Yeah. Well, and so, I mean, physicians, as you well know, spend so much of you know, their life, you know, and so much money on training themselves to make sure that they know what they need to know to get these jobs after training. And it's one thing to have a contract and to understand it when you finish, which we, of course, we'll talk a lot about over the coming month. But then even when you're at that job to understand how did compensation metrics change? How did benchmarks change from year to year? And MGMA is the gold standard by many counts on what that looks like. So when they launch their new data every year, usually the second or third week in May, there's all kinds of analysis that go on. And physicians have an increase in pay. What happened to production? Did it go up or down? And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to digging into the data. And then I'll definitely, you and I can talk on a podcast like this. I can shoot a couple of podcasts in short format with coffee and contracts and <laughs> get those sent over. But you know, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to getting into the data and then doing everything in our power here at Contract Diagnostics to make sure that physicians always know how they're paid and if they're paid appropriately for the effort and for the workload that they're doing. It's so vitally important as you guys just invest so much of your time and effort into your craft. I think we're so lucky to have you as an ally, and I'm lucky to have you on financial residency with me. We've kind of talked about maybe doing several podcasts over the next few months, just talking about contracts because it's so vital to physicians, obviously, anybody. But let's start at the beginning. Let's start back when you're a resident, you're a fellow, and you're looking for your first job. How do you know when to look for the first job? Do you have any recommendations on that? Oh, you know, that's a great question. And I think it's a, there's a art to the timing, I think sometimes. And it's funny, I think physicians have started looking earlier and earlier, Tammy. We've been doing this for about 12 years now. And when we first got into this over a decade ago, we would always get really busy. Like at the end of December, people would start calling us and saying, you know, hey, I'm thinking about getting a contract reviewed. You know, what do you guys charge or what's the process? And then January, February, March, April, May, we would be super busy. And then June and July, it slowed down a little bit and then pick back up again mid-December. Because people just, I think, took the first six months of the year to get settled in their final year. Come December, they'd start looking for jobs and they'd get contracts in January and then call and have us review them. Then people started looking for jobs all the way through May. Then it went to being busy more so in December. And then we got busy in November. Then we got busy in September. And we just stayed busy all year long. It's not that we waited earlier in January or February. And so I think physicians overall have started looking for jobs earlier. It's June of 2022. And so, you know, obviously we're on to a lot of 2023 grads already, but we're still wrapping up some of the 2022, but we've already reviewed four contracts for 2024. So I think, yeah, I mean, people are just looking earlier. I think COVID made people want to look even earlier. 
And so they want to know where they're going. They want to get this out of the way. And so I guess that's a long way of saying we feel that physicians are looking for jobs earlier than they used to. We feel that, of course, that means they're going on site visits and setting up interviews. They're getting contracts and reviewing and negotiating them earlier than they have in the past. What's the right timing? I think that's up to the individual physician. Some people know that, look, I want to go back to this particular town, this particular state and serve this area you know, where maybe I grew up or where I've got family or where my spouse is from. And if that's the case, why not go interview now? Why not tell them you're looking? Why not get a contract and get it out of the way? There might be things that you can negotiate, such as stipends, you know, monthly payments, a thousand or two bucks every single month from now until you start working. So the earlier we get that contract signed, the more in that stipend you'll have. And so we do see people looking out earlier for those reasons. And so, again, I think it's all dependent. If you're a position that's going to have, you know, you're going to want to kind of cast the net, if you will, and look at multiple places, maybe some in the Midwest, some in the South, some out East and some out West. Obviously, it takes a lot of time to set up interviews and to go on these site visits and then they get contracts. So starting that process earlier would be a healthy thing as well. But what's the process? I think just defining your timelines and what you're comfortable with. Obviously, we don't want to rush too much because once you have a signed contract, it typically takes anywhere from two to seven months. Illinois, by the way, is usually the seven month for getting a state license. Wow. And then once that's done, you need to get credentialed at the hospital or the facility. And that usually 90 days to 100 days. So we oftentimes have fire drills in June and July because people are trying to start jobs in August and September and they don't have a state license and they're not credentialed. And that gap in income can be can be painful and sometimes damaging. So when is I don't know when too early is, but I know that everyone should at least start to have their interviews in January, February, so they can get contracts, take plenty of ample time to receive them, review them, negotiate them. And of course, then get credentialed so you can start on time in August or September based on your recommendations. You had mentioned site visit, and we had kind of a very specific question posed to us the other day. Is it typical for an employer to have you fill out a W-9 form before you do a site visit? And what would the purpose of that be? It's not something that I'm aware of. Okay. I didn't know if it was for so, reimbursement of travel expenses or you know, I didn't really have an answer to that question. Out. Yeah, I would think they need to fill that out. Okay. Um, I mean, they could just fill out a form without filling out a W-9. And they could just issue you a check and then just send you a 1099 because of income over $600, if you will, assuming it was over $600. If not, they don't have to file that either. But okay. it doesn't make any sense to me. I definitely, when it comes to site visits or even before you are officially signed, I wouldn't sign any credentialing paperwork. I mean, if you're going to whatever, to Missouri, you're looking at four offers only in Missouri. I think it's okay to apply for your Missouri license, but I wouldn't fill out any credentialing packets or information for any of the facilities until you're signed and you have a formal contract and agreement with that individual. Do you have any specific recommendations about site visits? Anything that would be, you know, contract related or does the contract focus come in after you've done the site visit yeah. and when you're starting to no. get to the paperwork phase? I think that's a great question. So I think we've got like a backgrounder here that was written by Dr. Catherine, our director of education. And I'll get that sent over to you if you wanted to send that out to people or post sure. it up on the website as a value. But, you know, as far as site visits, I feel, as we all do here, that site visits are just as much about you interviewing them as it is them interviewing you. 
So obviously I don't have to tell physicians to dress nice and act professional. I think that's ridiculous for me to coach people on that, but I would look at it. I'm going to be there to answer questions. Why do you want the job? How much money do you want? Which by the way, I don't want the physicians talking about compensation at all during site visits or LOIs and not to jump down that hole. But if you are on a site visit and someone does say, what are you seeing for other offers? Or what do you expect for your first year pay? I think something similar to, look, I'm sure that you'll offer a market competitive rates with all the other offers that I've seen. And if they say, well, what are those offers? I'm sure that you guys will be competitive and put your best foot forward with an offer. I look forward to receiving a letter of intent or an official contract and having it completely reviewed and understood so I know all the ins and the outs, not just the compensation. So I wouldn't answer that question. I'll pivot around it. Don't, I want 200,000. Great. You get a contract of 200,000 and you call <laughs> us or another firm and we say, oh, this thing should play at 225. And they're like, we gave you everything you wanted. Well, what's wrong? So let's not discuss compensation on these interviews and site visits. But if we go back to what do you do during the site visit? Again, you're selling yourself, right? You don't want to let them know that you're going to only be there for a year or two, even if you are, because that may impact what they offer or may impact them offering anything. So if you're going for a spouse training, your spouse is finishing her GI you know, fellowship and you're there for one or two years, you don't want to let them know that because they may offer you something different or they may not want to commit to you based on them knowing that you're going to leave. So you know, kind of keep some information close to the vest. I do think that you should be interviewing them. So why is the position open? What's the future of the organization? What headwinds do you see? Maybe it's a small practice and they have a big hospital coming to town to compete. You might want to know that. Maybe they're a big hospital and they're in merger talks or they might get bought out by private equity. You know, So you may never become a partner. I think it's important to say, what's the schedule? What are my expectations for work? Do I have dedicated admin time? You know, what call obligation? And how does it change if somebody has a baby or somebody retires or passes away or quits and leaves us? I think you interviewing them is as important as them interviewing you. So I want full due diligence done, not just on the contract, but on the opportunity in general. So I think a site visit is a great place for that. And you may weed out an employer that you just don't want to work with. And therefore, I mean, again, I hate for you to get a contract and sign up for a review and you spend your harder money and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, this is not what I want. Maybe you could have saved time and money by not even having that contract review. But to that end, I also think it's a good idea to go on practice runs, not to be disrespectful to an employer, but we don't have practice interviewing and physicians, you know, they're not known to be salespeople. So to go on a site visit and try to sell yourself when you never done it before, maybe you did a little bit during your residency, you know, application and interview rounds, but like, you don't know how to do this. And I'd hate for a position to go to what might look like their dream job. And they just don't do a good, they don't do a nice job. They don't present themselves in the right way. So I'm all for doing a phone screen with a job that you don't want to see what questions you get asked or doing an easy site visit at a local institution or one not too far away, even if you don't want the job, just to see what the site visit's like, you know? Does contract yeah. diagnostics do any coaching along those lines to help physicians prepare you to know, get the contract? Not really. We just have like these backgrounders that I can send over to you as far as some good questions to ask and things to think through during the process. Again, I always tell people, look, just be yourself, you know, ask a lot of questions and then don't make any commitments on what you're looking for or on compensation. And then once they offer you a formal contract, 
that's a great time to get us involved. Now, we do have some physicians, they'll call us and they'll say, hey, you have all that great compensation data. Can I get it? And we have physicians, they'll sign up for a contract package. We'll send them the data. They say, look, I'm going on a site visit to St. Louis this week, or I'm going on a site visit to Tampa. And we'll give them that compensation data when they sign up. And that way they have it when they go in there. So if they wow. say, look, this contract, this is a salaried offer at 360000 And you're looking at the data and you're going, this thing should be at four hundred. That right there, maybe you're like, look, with all due respect, I'm looking at the data. It said it should be four hundred. Why is it three sixty? And they may not have a good answer, or they maybe give you an answer that you don't like. In which case, you can respectfully say, you know what? Don't even waste your time on a contract. I'm not interested. So there are some things you know, that we could do as far as giving data ahead of time. You don't need to wait until we do a formal contract review before you get the data. You can always sign up and get the data, and then just when you get the contract, you send it into us. It's a much more efficient way, actually, to use our system. But That's you know, either way, know. we're always here to help anybody. They can always reach out. But I, I think, as far as like the process, I mean, you go on a site visit and you do, you know, a great job. And a lot of places will give you an offer letter right there. I've even seen some places give you a, a contract right there. And some people say, thank you. We've got other interviews. We'll let you know in a week or two. Whichever happens, if they give you, if they give you something to sign or review, let them know. Look, thank you so much. I'll have them have it professionally reviewed. Are there expectations with when you hear back from me? I hear this and I think it's disrespectful to the physician. If you hear this, here's the contract and we expect to hear back in three days. That's crazy because you've got to get it reviewed. You've got to understand it. You've got to take time to process. You may have other site visits set up. And so it, to me, if they give you a short turnaround, that's a red flag. So I wouldn't accept that in terms of them saying, here's your contract. I've heard some employers give that a contract on a Friday, say, let us know Monday by eight o'clock in the morning. Oh my gosh. That, and yeah, like that does sound like a red flag. It's ludicrous. The physician calls us and they ask us to help. And we have to work on the weekends then to help them out, which is always possible. It's not the best scenario, especially if you're trying to balance multiple offers. So always set expectations. If you're, if you, they don't give you anything, you could ask them, when should I hear back from you? Should I expect a contract in a couple of weeks? Do you interview more people? So let's set timelines and expectations. I think if you have multiple site visits and multiple offers coming in, you should think through that. So if, if you have, let's say that you have a site visit coming up, let's say that today's June 1st, and you have another site visit coming up June 12th, you know? You could say something like, look, guys, I'm hoping to make a decision by the third week of June. You would say this to both employers. I want to make a decision by the third week of June or by the end of June. So I want to have all contracts, any proposals and documents to me by the second week of June so I can have them fully reviewed and understood for questions. You know, and they'll let you know that sounds great, not a problem. But then it kind of also says, don't rush me. And it helps you set up your timeline with your other site visits. Now, most employers won't wait two months or three months if you're interviewing over a multiple month time frame. Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind as you set up your site visit. You might not be able to get one site visit in January and one in February and one early March, and then balance that January employer, not letting them know until March because they may have a backup candidate or two. And if you say no, and they've got a job that they need you at in, in July or August, they can't get anybody back to interviewing and back to contracting and then credentialed. So out of respect for them, make sure that we set expectations on a time frame. Um, and then, of course, I think just knowing, look, when I get the contract, what am I going to do? Am I going to sign without having it reviewed? I would recommend it, not because I have contract diagnostics, because I've just heard way too many horror stories. You know, 
Am I going to have a, a lawyer in the state review it? If so, great. Who's that going to be? And how many physician contracts do they do every year? If you want to work with the firm like contract diagnostics, great. Which package are you going to pick and how do you sign up? We have free consults on our page. You can click on our website and set up a 15-minute free consult anytime. We do it from six in the morning until nine at night. And it's just a 15-minute call. It's 100% free. You can ask any questions you want, right? Oh my gosh. And so, and maybe they can set it up for their site visit. You know, I've got a site visit coming up. How do I handle this? What do I say? What do I not say? So you know, we have that resource that people can lean on us for because again, we started this company to help people not to make money. And that's a wonderful way that we can help people. So I think just understanding, okay, where do I want to be? When do I want to sign? How many places do I want to go? What's the process with each individual place? Because some might have a contract, some might have a letter of intent. And then of course, once I get documents, what's my plan? Is it working with somebody to review it? Is it working it through it myself? Is it reading some books or some wonderful ones out there? So I think it's figuring out what your plan is. And then I think, of course, once you have a signed contract, then great. Now we're on to other things like credentialing and other fun stuff as far as finishing your training. But if we go back to the one thing about if you get a contract, obviously you go through the whole thing, you negotiate the whole thing or question the whole thing, right? If you get a letter of intent, some letter of intents are very detailed. It's you have this much vacation time, you have this much CME, you have this much you know, salary, and this is all the detail that you have for your job. Others are just like an email, right? We're offering you 200, there's a $500 stipend for CME. And that's it. Others, like I said, they go all the way into the non-compete. They go all the way into the termination. They give you all the benefit package. Of course, they talk about salary and bonus structure. I say anything on that letter of intent is worthy of negotiation. So if it says on there, you have a salary and a signing bonus and a production bonus, I think all those things are worth talking about negotiating. How and then successful. when the contract comes in, if we got to go back and negotiate tail insurance or non-competes, we can do that at that time. Okay. How successful are you at putting in work schedules or call schedules, or you were mentioning what happens if someone goes out on sick leave for six months? Are you very successful in getting those types of things inserted into a contract? It varies so much by employer. Some large employers, they don't want to put that stuff in a contract. Other small employers are like, we're more flexible. I do think it matters based on the physician's frame and the context of the situation. So if you are the 25th hospitalist going into a large program, I think you have less negotiating capital, less wiggle room maybe, than the only endocrinologist going to a rural area to help. That makes sense. Or the only pediatric gastroenterologist interested in this one facility right? Or a high, high, high revving GI practice that needs someone to do scopes, you know, a trained B-specialist. I think every situation is different, but we have seen more success with those super highly specialized positions that maybe want to go into an area that isn't super populated and they're they're needed more than they would be somewhere else. But again, whether it's going to be put in the agreement or not, whether it's negotiable or not, everything should be questioned, right? There's a big difference on clarification versus like negotiating a change. So they may say, look, we're not changing the contract at all. Don't even waste your time asking us to change anything. They may be true. Maybe it's untrue, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't have lots of questions. So even if they say we're not changing the compensation, it doesn't mean that I can't come up with 15 or 20 questions 
on what to ask them. And we can go into those now or later, but you know, how does it change over time? What's the average of the other physician? What's expected for my production? What happens if I leave? How's my bonus paid after I take off? You know, what's the payer mix? You know, I mean, are you using the 2021 codes or the 2020 codes? I mean, there's so many different questions we can come up with that are just clarification questions have nothing to do with, and I want this change. Again, whether it's negotiable or not, I think there's always got to be a ton of questions asked, whether it's in the letter of intent phase, whether it's in the contract phase, or whether you're just on a site visit and you just want to be curious on why is the position open? Oh, well, we had a doctor leave. Why'd they leave? Oh, personal reasons. Yeah, maybe they could stay in the medical director. Maybe they were working 100 hours a week and they were on call every single night. They were miserable. So again, asking good questions, whether we're negotiating or asking for changes is different. Asking good questions is something that is vital throughout the process from interviews to letter of intents to the actual contract. What if you end up with five contracts? How do you help that person kind of navigate through the contracts to figure out which is the best fit for them? Every situation is so different, but I think having a a timing involved and being proactive in how we're going to time the site visits, the interviews. And then receiving the contracts, I think is important. But I also think if you look at like how to compare, 200,000 is not always more than 180,000. I think you need to establish your risk tolerance. There might be a big difference if somebody's looking at staying in a job for 20 years and someone's looking at leaving for two years, in two years. Maybe we're looking at getting more money up front and maybe it's a long-term play. Maybe the data shows you should be making 400, but they're offering you 300. But the partners are making 800. So maybe it's worth taking less up front. So again, every situation is so different. It's hard to say, you know, these are the things that you should compare. But obviously, knowing your full risk from tail insurance to non-competes to compensation to benefits and how they could be different, I think understand that full gamut as you're going through the letter of intent, the contract, this initial process. I think understanding the totality of the contract, not just Exhibit B says you get paid 300,000. There's so much more. So I think, how do you evaluate and compare? There's a lot of different ways. I think it's understanding your individual risk in each single opportunity. And then how that compares to your desired end game. If it's a contract long-term with the same employer forever and partnership, if it's work here for two years, take off, move to Texas. I think it's evaluating what your individual risk is, number one, and then how that plays into your future plans, number two. And then making sure that whichever opportunity you look at it with that lens, because if you tell me, John, I'm going to be here forever. It's my hometown. I'm going to retire with this practice. I'm already looking at that differently than if you tell me, John, my spouse is finishing her training here. She's going to do a year of interventional cardiology, and then we're going to move away. Okay. I'm looking at those two contracts with very different eyes because they're different situations. I'm wanting to balance near-term cash and risk on one. The other one, I want to balance schedules and more lifestyle and long-term gain as well as near-term cash. So I mean, there's, and of course, balancing risk over time versus this one year that you're going to leave after. So there's so many different situations that you can bring up different questions. I think it's important to understand the situation if you've got multiple offers. But again, I think it's a good idea to have multiple offers because one, options create option. And if you're looking at one, but they're 10,000 less, it might be inspirational for them to know that you have another offer for that 10,000 more. And that's why they should match the other offer. So I think having other offers is a really, really good, healthy thing. That sounds good. 
Circling back to that MGMA data, just for a second, and I would like to bring you back to talk about that another time if I can. Do you do just compensation reviews in addition to full contract reviews? So whether it's the new resident fellow that we're kind of talking to today or the old experienced 10-year doctor, can you help both of those clientele? Yeah, yeah, we do. So we have a new product called Compensation RX. And we don't look at the contract. It's basically for an attendee that hasn't had any adjustments or just wants to know if he or she is paid correctly. I actually have a compensation call on Wednesday this week. And it's with a gentleman and he actually went to somebody else at the company. And when I read his note on intake, I said, absolutely not. I get the privilege of working with this position. His note said something similar to, I've been at this company for 15 years. I have not had a raise. I want to know how my compensation is ranked. And I thought, oh my goodness. So the stats, Tammy, are 38% of positions haven't had any pay increase in, I think it's had the last three years. So 40%, four out of 10, not for three years. And then you've got these outliers for 15 years. I worked with a gal a couple of years ago, never forget her. New York gal, sleep expert, just a brilliant person on all fronts. And she started a sleep program, grew it. They were making tens of millions of dollars on a program that she developed. And she hadn't had a raise in eight years, but she loved her job and she made good money and she loved her patients and her colleagues. And she never thought about it. And we worked with one of her colleagues and she called and said, I don't think I need you. I love my job. I don't want to quit. I don't need a contract review. And then we gave her the data and we went over a couple of things and she hired us to do the negotiation. We got her an aggregate 130,000 bucks a year in pay. Oh my goodness. Each, each year. We worked with a family medicine doc a couple of weeks ago, and because of our data and because of our conversation, 30 minutes, cost the guy under 300 bucks, Tammy. And he was able to get a $70,000 raise per year for three years and an extra week of vacation every single year with zero additional production expectations. So it was like, you're going to get 70 grand more, but... You have to now deliver 7,000 RVUs. You got to work every, no extra, $210,000 over three years, plus three additional weeks of vacation to be with his family, his friends, because of the data and a, and a call with us. So oh my gosh. 300 bucks, this thing doesn't even cost 300 bucks. Every single physician, this sounds crazy for me to say, but I honestly think that every single physician in the country should buy this every third year. It's just way too cheap for such an amazing value with the data and a call to discuss options and how to go to your employer and say, I really want to talk about my compensation. It's just a great tool. So yeah, if people need us for a contract review, contract diagnostics, I mean, that's what we're here for. It's our specialty. We've done it over, I think, almost 11,000 reviews now. And we've got compensation RX. You don't need a contract review. Great. You know, if we can help you, we've got a free 15 minute call for anything on our site you can book. But if you want to talk about compensation and get the latest data, right, from multiple sources, you can get compensation RX. It's under 300 bucks and you get the data plus a 30 minute call with us to strategize. Any person, any physician out there listening, there's a way that we can help, whether it's a free call or one of our paid products. And it doesn't matter to us. We're just here to help. That's what we love doing. And that's why we started the company over a decade ago. So yes, I'm definitely wanting to discuss the MGMA data more in depth with you in terms of what we learned from 2022 from to 2021. Again, knowing that 2022 data is based on 2021, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a lag. 
So, and also knowing that our internal data at contract diagnostics is real time. So if you're a hospitalist in Kansas City or a pulmonologist in Chicago, we worked with those people just last week and the week before. So we can say, this is what we saw last week. And this is what we saw two months ago. We don't have to give you MGMA data that looks at 2021 numbers, which is the year after COVID. So we've got the 2022 data, but it's really a snapshot on 2021, the year after the pandemic, which it's always important to know what data are we looking at? And how delayed is it? Where our internal data contract diagnostics is real time. Here's what we've seen in the last couple of months. And then of course, with MGMA or with Sullivan Cotter or with AMGMA or you know, a different data set, it's always, a, here's what we've aggregated over the past 10 months. So we're reporting it from the year prior. It doesn't mean it's not the gold standard. It doesn't mean that their end is way bigger than any other data set. It just means that there's a lag. Sure. And that people should understand that as they're going to understand the data. But I'm definitely looking forward to digging into it more. I've read maybe 10 articles on it already. I'm going to read 10 more today. We've done, we've, we've got all of our updated data and we are going through with a fine-tooth comb to think what happened to physicians that have been out for a while, what happened to different regions, different specialties, different metro areas, above a million, below a million, practice you know, group size and hospital employed. We're going through all of it so we can then analyze it and have all the right tools to help you guys through the process. Well, John, how would they get in touch with you or someone at your company so they could start either contract review or salary review? It's super simple. I mean, contractdiagnostics.com is our website. You can email info at contractdiagnostics.com. That's a good way just to get to Jan. She kind of the boss around here. And she knows more about the company than anybody. She understands the data better than anybody. She custom pulls everything for each individual position that comes into our system. And she knows how to set up. She knows our timing and everything. So info at contract diagnostics gets them an easy route in, or they can just go straight to the website and set up a free consult or even a review. If they want to, they can click on and just purchase something right there from the site. But of course, there's all types of ways they can do. We have a text program that they call our 800 number, which is online. We've got slide outs on the website. You can set up a free consult. There's all kinds of ways. If the physician's an email person or a text person or a phone call person, there's always ways that they can connect with us super simple. That sounds great. Well, John, thanks for being my guest today. And I look forward to talking to you again in a few weeks and get more information maybe on the MGMA data and salary negotiation. Maybe that can be our next topic of conversation. That sounds fantastic. I hope we do it soon. I'm looking forward to it. And I hope you'll all tune in to hear grand rounds again next week, but also pay attention. I think on Thursdays, you're going to get some contract pearls from John Apino on coffee and contracts. Thanks for listening to grand rounds. I hope you'll join me next week. <laughs>